This morning's scripture is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, um, you know our hearts. Um, You know our longings. Uh, They are often less than the things that we have just read uh, in that passage, Lord. Uh, And we pray that you would help us to see uh, in the midst of singing about building your kingdom uh, the the commitment to a group effort in this. Uh, Lord, use this service to accomplish that in encouraging us, edifying us, connecting us, admonishing us where necessary. Lord, all the things that your spirit intends to, to do and intended to do when we walked in here. Uh, Accomplish that, Lord. And you know that for those things to happen, these cannot be my words, but your words, and not my thoughts, but your thoughts. If we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. A uh, father and his young son are walking down the hallway at a church, and they walk past a plaque on the wall down one of the church hallways, and it says uh, that it's, it's, uh, it's in memoriam to those who have... Uh, um, uh, for veterans who died in various wars. And, and uh, the son asks the dad, what, what's that about, dad? And, and the dad says, well, son, this is, it's, uh, it's meant to honor those who died in the service. And the son says, wow. He says, was it the 9 o'clock service or the 1030 service? <laughs> All right, so that has nothing to do with anything I'm about to say. It, it act, actually, it does have something to do with what I'm about to say because we're in a series uh, uh, called Family Matters and it's a series that's specifically about what it means to be committed to a church. Some have made the full commitment, right? So I hope that none of you die in the sermon this morning. But um, the point is, it's meant to make us think more seriously about the sorts of commitments that we make when we say, I do, to a church family. If you're a member here, you've said, I do. You've actually affirmed uh, a series of vows, and this is a series where we're looking at those five membership vows. Um, If you're not a member here, or if you're visiting with us, you're probably not familiar with those vows, but you're familiar with the idea of vows, and maybe you've taken vows at other points in your life, whether that would be for a baptism or in a courtroom or, or maybe as it relates to your profession. Certainly the, the most common place where we're familiar with vows is, is at a wedding. Uh, when I officiate a wedding, um, I, I ask this, do you now have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live with her in God's, after God's commandments in the holy estate of marriage, and will you love her, honor her, cherish her, forsaking all others, so long as you both shall live. Something to that effect, right? When I ask them to repeat after me, they say, I take you to be my wedded wife. I do promise before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, for richer or for poorer, as long as we both shall live, right? 
It's something like that. There's another promise that comes around the time that the rings are exchanged. Often, I think for most weddings I do, it's something to the effect of this ring I gave as token and pledge. I always think the word token there is really unfortunate because it's, very, it's a very expensive token. It should not be called a token. So I use a symbol and pledge of my constant faith and abiding love. When Bev and I got married, we used the old Book of Common Prayer language, which is beautiful. It says, with this ring I thee wed, with my body I thee honor, and all my words worldly goods I thee endow, which was a, um, a running joke with Bev and I, because when Bev and I met, she was getting ready to head onto the mission field in Spain. She'd sold a lot. She was traveling really, really light, and uh, the truth be told, I'll put a picture of it up here, uh, with the exception of some college debt, I decided that pretty much all I was getting out of the all my worldly goods I thee endow was this end table right here. <laughs> the mini fridge is sold separately. It's a very nice end table, don't get me wrong. Target, I'm not sure. So, but uh, if you watch our wedding video, you'll actually see all my worldly goods. I think she actually, she smiles, and I think she actually, she actually mouths the word end table like that. So it's just, so I had, you know, a house. I had, it was fully furnished. I had the car, I had the dog, and, and she had the end table. But I got Bev. So who got the better end of the deal? Absolutely, right? Yeah, happy wife, happy life, right? That's important. So, okay. A wedding vow is, is many things. But at its most basic level, it is a commitment to be there. It's a commitment to show up. It's a ministry of presence. It's saying, you know, I'm making a promise here. Five years from now, I'll be there. 20 years from now, I'll be there. For better or for worse, I'll be there. When, when I am an awestruck wonder of you and when you've just gotten on my last nerve, I will be there. For richer or for poorer, sickness and health, plenty and want, I'll be there. It's a commitment, and the reason we make that commitment and the reason we make a vow about it is because we know that it's not in our nature to do this very well. If I'm left to my own devices, who knows what I'm going to feel like doing a year from now or five years from now. So I put a promise to it. I attach a promise. I make a vow. I'm saying, you know what? I've decided it doesn't really much matter what I feel like five years from now. I'm making a promise that I'm going to be there. That vow, a wedding vow... And this membership vow are really very similar. They mean it's a, it's a commitment to be there. And it means a lot more than that, but it doesn't mean less than that. Here's the fourth vow. It says this. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? The fourth membership vow is a commitment to be there. It means more than that, but it doesn't mean less than that. This one is, is grounding your faith in a specific church family. When you think about this, those first three vows, let me put them up here for you so you can see them. Those first three vows that we went over, they could be made anywhere. I mean, every Christian should make these vows, but theoretically you could be on a desert island and you could make those vows, right? Because these are vows about your walk with Christ and about what you're trusting in and all that. But there's, this is where things shift with that fourth vow because now you're committing to a group. You're, you're committing... You're actually finding a home for those first three vows. You're committing to a specific group of people at a specific place in a specific time with specific faces and specific sins and specific imperfections and personalities. It's no longer those first three vows could be me and Jesus, but by the time you get to vow four, it is definitely a we and Jesus thing. Will you have this particular bride, this particular church, to be your lawfully wedded wife? 
And a commitment to a local church is a commitment to imperfection. If you've been in Stonebridge any length of time, you know that to be true. But any church that you've been in, you know it's a commitment to imperfection. You are committing to a, a sin-loving, sin-addicted, off-key, body-odor, awkward moments kind of group, right? Members, when you stood in front of this church and you said yes to this vow, you were saying, I do, to this bride, You're committing to an imperfect group full of imperfect people, but you're doing so understanding that the Christian journey is meant to be a community endeavor. It has to be lived out in community. In fact, you're giving vows one through three a home. You're anchoring those vows in a context. Um, Let me put those, uh, just in plain English, here's the vows, I think. Um, the first vow just says, I've got a problem. <laughs> Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? That was something that Doug talked about three weeks ago. He said, I've got a problem. And boy, did Doug have a problem. Okay, all right. Number two. I'm sorry, Doug. Um, do you, this was the one that Tim talked about. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? What you're saying there is, Jesus is the only answer to my problem. This is kind of bad cop, good cop stuff. This is bad news, good news. You're seeing the, the problem, and then in, verse, in, in vow two, you're seeing the solution. Then the third one, which Rick talked about last week, says, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? You're saying there, do you remember Rick saying, my actions matter. I'm living for him now. Obedience matters. I'm not just going to call him my savior. I'm going to call him my Lord. What he wants for my life makes a difference. And one of the things that he wants for my life is to invest in a community where I can practice all of the commanded one another stuff in the scriptures. Love one another. Cherish one another. Encourage one another. Consider one another greater than yourselves. All of those things. I can't practice one anothering without another. I think I just made up a word there, but you understand what I'm saying. So you're saying in vow four, I'm going to live out these truths here. I'm going to live it out in the context of this little outpost of God's advancing kingdom. I'm going to drop anchor here and live it out here. I'm going to be a follower of Christ among a local body of believers because the Christian faith is meant to be grounded in community. That's Hebrews 10, by the way. What was just read, what Stephanie just read, I think is the same basic idea. It says in Hebrews 10, um, that, well, if you look back at Hebrews 1 through 9, which we don't have time to go through, if you look at the context of it, you see that for about 10 chapters, the author of Hebrews is just giving a lot of explanation about how great Jesus is and how much assurance he provides for us and how he provides access for us to the Father. And he goes on to lay all of that out. It's all the things that we confess in vows 1 and 2. And the passage that we just read is the moment at which Hebrews shifts from the explanation to the application, and it dives right in. It goes into three or four different commands there. And here's the commands. The first one, he says, is draw near to God. He says, you're accepted, and you have access. This is vows one and two. He says, you you have a guilty conscience that you need to be cleansed from, but that's vow one, right? Vow 2 says, yeah, but the, the lamb has washed you clean, has sprinkled you, and you have been washed. Then it goes on to say, the second command here, he says, hold fast to the confession of your hope. Hold fast to your hope. 
without wavering. He's saying, take all that confidence now that you have, that assurance of faith, and live it out. Live like the gospel matters. That's the third vow. It's the same idea. But his third application after all of that, he says, stick together. After laying all the foundations for 10 chapters, he so quickly gets to the idea that this has to be done in community. This is verses 24 and 25. And because this is something that he's telling us to do together, I thought it would be good if it's okay with you guys if we read this together. So will you read this with me? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He says that we need each other to be spurred on to love and to good deeds, that we need each other for that, that we need to stick together. In order to encourage one another, he says, you've got to keep on meeting together. You've got to keep on doing this thing. You've got to not give up meeting together. It is so easy for us to give up on that because we get jaded and we look around... Don't be shocked that the church is imperfect. Don't be shocked that the people around you are imperfect. He says, don't give up meeting together. So what does commitment to a church family look like? Uh, It's a lot of things. I think in Hebrews it says too. It says, don't give up meeting together and encourage one another daily, all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, I think that the vow... Vow 4 gets at the same ideas when it says that we're supposed to support the work, the, the church in its worship and work to the best of our abilities. The same idea, worship, among other things, meeting together, and work, among other things, um, serving and working towards a common goal together, right? So let's look at those two. The first one is worship, and like I said, um, it means a lot more than this, but let's start here, a commitment to show up. Okay, let's start there, shall we? Just come into church, and you're saying, oh, good, I picked a good Sunday to come. You know, uh, I'm here, so uh, obviously I've, I've met this requirement, and, and uh, it's really good that I'm here this Sunday, so I don't have to hear this on the podcast and feel guilty later, right? Um, but I do think that this is a conversation that, even though you get credit, yes, for being here this morning, this is a conversation that we all need to have, because here's the issue. The stats on church health have, have recently discovered that the problem with decreased church attendance in in our country today might not be that less people are coming. It might be that more people are coming less often. Tom Rayner studies this stuff a lot, and he says this. Simply stated, the number one reason for the decline in church attendance is that members attend with less frequency than they did just a few years ago. And then he goes on to explain it. He says, imagine you've got a church, it's 200 people, and all of them have perfect attendance, so your average attendance is? You guys are sharp, 200, right? But then imagine that half of, that church, half of the church start only coming three weeks out of four. You would say they're still in, right? I mean, they're still very active members, but half of the church starts coming only three weeks out of four. Now your average attendance is, anyone want to guess? It's 175, right? So get that. Nothing's changed. Nobody's left. Everybody's still active. Everybody still loves the church, but, but attendance has just dropped 12%. Just because be, um, attendance behavior changed very slightly, and Tom Rayner goes on to say that attendance behavior in our country, in our Christian community, has changed very slightly, or maybe more significantly. We're busier than we used to be. There's lots of reasons for this, right? One is that we're busier than we used to be. That affects our weekends. We're more affluent than we used to be, and that gives us options, even on the weekends. 
we have a higher focus on kids' activities than we used to, and that has more demands on our weekends now, creeps into Sundays. We travel more than we used to. We're more spread out from family than we used to be, and so visiting family means traveling more than we used to. There's single-parent families where kids have to swap back and forth on the weekends, and so for them, perfect attendance might be 26 weeks out of the year. There's online options now. So you could wake up in the morning and go, do I want to show up or do I just want to watch the service in my pajamas? Or do I want to show up or do I want to just catch the sermon later on the podcast? Those trends are all at play in, in the church in general, in our country, but I believe those, those trends are all at play here if we're honest about ourselves. Some of you, and I'm not, this is not meant to, I'm not giving you the, the stink eye about this or anything, but some of you have been, since the, the year started, um, you may have been out of town more than you've been in town, right? So we can look at our own lives and say, yeah, this, this does happen. There's, there's lots of legitimate reasons why it happens, right? It's important that you hear, it, in Presbyterianism, it's not a mortal sin to, to miss church. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not the unforgivable sin to, to miss a Sunday, it's okay if you're out of town for the weekend. Um, if you're sick, you do not have to bring a note from home the next week. <laughs> um, if I hear that you've got um, a, uh, uh, a trip planned next week, I, I promise not to give you the evil eye, right? Or to, to judge you for it, unless it's a really good trip and you didn't invite me, right? But if in a month you're missing two out of four Sundays, three out of four Sundays, even for very, what you would have to agree are legitimate reasons, I think it's a good thing if you would just do this. Just ask yourself why, and then please do this. Just don't let yourself off the hook too quickly because even legitimate things, even good things, sometimes it can be too much of a good thing. So I hope what you're not hearing is guilt here, but what I'm asking is for all of us to take an assessment of what does it mean to be committed to a church family and to have a date with Stonebridge every Sunday. You, folks, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian but you don't have to go home to be married. See how your marriage health will do if, if that's the case, right? It's the same with, with the Christian life. You cannot dig your roots deep into a church community if you're only here once or twice a month. And for some of you, that may mean some hard decisions about how you, you and your family think through how you prioritize things. I recognize that that can be hard. But just remember that Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, I'm not talking about so much what's beneficial for, um, for us, although as to, for us to be the body that God's called us to be, we, we want everybody here. We want all hands on deck. But it's also beneficial for you to be a part of this and to be a part of community on a regular basis. It's beneficial for your spiritual growth. I'll give this example. Um, Bill Hybels is pastor up at at Willow Creek in Chicago, and he says that very often, this happens uh, here as well, but very often after the... After the the, the service, somebody will come up and just talk about how providential it was that they were here. The sermon was exactly what they needed to hear. It, it spoke to them so clearly, and God was so, he, they're so glad they came, and it's amazing because they almost didn't come, and they're so glad that they did. And Bill s- said that he's decided that when people say that now, he's going to start taking the bait. When they say, I almost didn't come, he, he says, really? Well, so tell me how that works in your ch- in your, at your home. Do, do you like, in the morning, do you flip a coin? Do you, do you draw straws? Like, how do you determine whether, like, you almost weren't here? Why? Why wouldn't you be here? Then he goes on to say this. This is in a book that he wrote called Simplify. He goes on to say, what do you want to become? If you have even the vaguest interest in being, in becoming a more dialed-in Christ follower, someone who knows a little more about your faith, 
who is becoming a little more like the one you claim to follow, then there are a few words that you need to write on your calendar, and church is one of them. I love that he thinks about that in terms of the calendar because for many of us, especially in our work world, right, our church, that's our march, uh, sorry, our calendar is our marching orders, right? Uh, our calendar determines the things that we need, the things that we need to do. It, it shows, the calendar reflects the things that we, that we value. So let me ask you this. Do you actually have Stonebridge, Sunday at Stonebridge, on your calendar? Like literally on your, I'm going to make this easy for you, right? All those mobile devices that we told you to silence a minute ago, you can pull all those out for a moment. So, and you can type in this tinyurl.com slash Sunday at SBCC. If you type that in, it will put on your calendar from 9 to 1130 every Sunday, Sunday at Stonebridge. It's a date, right? It will put it on there from now until Jesus comes back. And I think if you click the link, it'll actually tell you when Jesus comes back. So it's worth clicking even just for that reason. It would be good. But what you've done is you've just now put a date on the calendar. You've made a date with us. Now we recognize that as you make your plans for the week or for the year, that there are going to be times, yes, when you need to break that date. And we understand that. And there are legitimate reasons to do that. But at least you're making the trade-off conscious. You're saying all other things being equal, this is, this is an appointment on my calendar. And so, sorry guys, I can't go tailgating until 12.30 because uh, I have a prior engagement. Everybody respects you when you say that, right? I have a prior engagement. That just sounds very important, right? It is very important. So make that prior engagement conscious on your calendar so that you're at least aware of the trade-off because our calendar reflects the things that we value and Hebrews 10 needs to be on our calendar. Let us not give up meeting together, right? Everybody got that? Only minimal guilt. Everybody Okay. Check in your pulse. I just want to make sure everybody's good there. Okay. All right. Meeting together is also about, um, it's about life on life because we recognize that there's a, a, a degree of care that this Sunday morning gathering with 300 and whatever of you isn't going to provide. And so we want you to get into living rooms with each other. That's the most common way for you to find life on life here is through our life groups. I think Doug would say there's, I think, 29 active life groups right now, something like that. Um, and the idea is that's just, 12 to 14 people sitting in a living room, sharing each other's burdens, praying for one another, uh, going after the scriptures together, caring for one another, l- doing life together. And there's lots of different ways you can do that. That's the most obvious one. Uh, Vine Life right now has is, is, uh, got an amazing, ridiculous amount of studies going on, nine or ten different Bible studies. Uh, Real Life has got regular men's groups that are going on throughout the week. If you are... Um, uh, in your 20s and 30s, kind of uh, pre, um, pre-kids, but post-college, uh, kind of right in there, singles and young marrieds. That's our quarter life group. It meets in my living room. You can come see the end table. It'll be awesome. So uh, we'd love to have you there. Um, if you're in the youth ministry, obviously, you got, you see there's a theme. There's, uh, there's life groups. There's young life. There's, uh, sorry, well, there is young life. That's not us. Um, there's life groups. There's vine life. There's real life. There's quarter life. The goal is that you would invest your life in a smaller subset of the community within the larger community, and that that would help you and be a benefit to you in your spiritual growth. What we're not saying is that you've got to be here every time the doors of the church are open. It would be exhausting. You would, you would be dead in a week. But um, what we are saying is you need to find some anchor points in the life of the community that you're willing to commit to and say, this is, this is where I'm going to, to plug in and, and, uh, and I'm going to learn and grow and build relationships there for the sake of my growth, but also for the sake of the church's growth. Make sense? Okay, well, the other idea here in this vow is that we would commit to support the church in its worship and its work, or as Hebrews 10 says, that we need to encourage one another all the more as we see the day 
approaching. And so at a bare minimum, I think that work is, you could say, it's a commitment for us to do our part. We're supposed to, according to Hebrews 10, we're supposed to cheer each other on to be who God has called us to be. We have a role to play in the spiritual development of the people around us. Um, my favorite passage on that one is, is Ephesians 4, which I have up here. And just to keep you alert and awake, can you read this one with me as well? Because this is also one of those not me-tos, but we-tos kind of passages. So let's read this together. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What that passage means is amazing because what it means is for all of the things that we talk about about Stonebridge's mission statement to give ourselves away, there's really a mission statement before the mission statement. It's not just that we would give ourselves away for the sake of the gospel, but that we would be equipping each other to give ourselves away for the sake of the gospel. You didn't hire the staff here. You didn't elect the elders and deacons here so that they could go give themselves away for the sake of the gospel. The goal is for them to encourage all of us in being able to play our part and live out our purpose. That we would all reach maturity. That we would all attain, what a beautiful thought, to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So when we join a church, what we're saying is, I, I get the common purpose of what this church is about and I am, I am aligning myself with that. I want to play a part in the common mission of the church together. On the front of your bulletin, there's a picture there. It's of the, uh, the church at Notre Dame in Paris. I'm sure many of you have seen it. The reason I put that on there is very simply this. Guys, it took 200 years for them to build that church. 200 years. What that means is that the, the architects who drew up the plan for it and the people who dug and laid the foundations, they understood that they were building something that they would never see completed in their lifetimes or in their kids' lifetimes. or in their, they, were, they were focused on a kingdom-building task that was far more enormous than they could ever be a part of on their own. They were committing to something bigger than them. And when we talk about committing ourselves to a church, I know you often heard these words, time, treasure, talent. Like these are the ways in which we, we dig in and build something that, um, that is bigger than us. And I know I've already talked about time a bit, just the ministry of showing up, but I want to talk about those other two. And then at the very end, I'm going to add one more T to it. So just briefly, let's talk about what it means to support the work, to do our part, as it relates to treasure. If I haven't already stepped on your toes already about attendance, here we go. Ready? Supporting the church's work means giving financially to it. Yes, I just said that. I'm a pastor. You totally expected that, right? You expected me to say that. Pastors say that a lot, but we don't say it because it's good for us. Guys, I've already said, we will build as God provides. We're saying it because we know that it's essential for you, that it's a basic vow three act of obedience I think a lot of people treat their, their financial stewardship kind of like we treat um, listening to public radio where, you know, when the share comes on and you just you turn the channel for a week because you just assume that when they're asking for money, they're definitely talking to somebody else, right? But when they're done and their goals and ministries have been funded, we're, we're going to turn, turn back 
because now we get to listen to the things that other people have paid for again, right? I'm one of these people. I apologize. I like listening to, to NPR on occasion. I like the music. I like, um, there are a lot of differences between NPR and the church, obviously. But, but, but one of them is, is this, um, and I guess I just confess that I'm a, I'm a NPR freeloader. Sorry about that. But, um, but one of the big things is that it's not, according to Scripture, and the third vow of, of following Christ in obedience, it's not an optional thing for us as it relates to giving to the kingdom, giving to kingdom work, giving to the church. It's not an option for us as believers. The Bible says, and talk to me later about this if you want to be further convicted, but the Bible says that we are to live on a percentage of our income not to exceed 90%. And we're supposed to give the rest of that away to kingdom work. And if we've made a vow to a church saying, we agree with the common mission of this church. We, we agree with giving ourselves away for the sake of the gospel. And we agree with, with uh, India and Brooklyn and Charlotte and the kids and all the things that this church is doing. Then, of course, the lion's share of what we're giving to kingdom work would happen within the context of what we're all trying to build here together. Right? It just makes sense that we would all get behind the mission of the church in that way. That we would do our part financially. And so part of what it means is to support the work uh, of the church is to get behind it with biblical, faithful, financial stewardship. Another part is as it relates to your talent. Ephesians 4 says it's the job of God's people to do the work of ministry. It's not the pastor's job. It's not the children's director's job, the youth pastor's job. It's not the elder's job. It is their job, but not just theirs. It's all of our job to do the work of ministry. So when you join this church, you, you have a contribution to make that's a reflection of so many different things in your life, your passions and your, your interests, your hobbies, your, your work background, your capacities, your spiritual gifts, your personality, your, your, your zeal. All those things become a part of something that you have now to offer as you join this church. There are so many things that we as a church are today that we weren't until somebody with those passions and giftings and capacities joined our church. So many of our ministry partners, so, so many, our, our work in India, so, so much of it came because God worked through individuals who had certain gift sets and certain passions. And you look at maybe your own life and you go, I don't know what I have to offer. Uh, all I got is an end table, Kevin. I don't know. But it's, I'm sure it's a very nice end table. And an end table is meant to hold something up and we'll find a place for it here, right? Metaphorically speaking, we'll find a place for it here. Um, and so it's, it's understanding that, in fact, by the way, one of the best ways to do that is our Connect class. And so if I can just say for a minute, Connect was made to be kind of a sequel to the Discover class to say not just, okay, great, now you've joined the church, but okay, now what does it look like for you to serve the church, to be involved? And so we take a look at your passions, your life experiences, your, your capacities, and your spiritual gifts, and your personality. We take a look at those things. By the end of it, we're sitting down in a one-on-one kind of ministry consult session, and we are scientifically matching all of your data with the needs here in the church or the needs in the community and saying, have you considered getting involved in this or that? And so let me encourage you, that only happens once a year, but it happens in March and April. It's 9 a.m., it's upstairs in the studio, and if you're interested, you can just write Connect on the uh, Keeping in Touch form, and we'll send you some more information about that. Just a great way for us to figure out how does, how does my end table fit into the grander scheme of this house. Let me end by adding one more, though. So time, treasure, talent. One more way that I think we're called to support the, the work of the church might be the most important one. This is a Greek word, telos, 
which means end, purpose, goal. The telos is the aim for which we were created. We, uh, we hear in the Westminster Confession of Faith that our chief telos, our chief purpose, end, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But here's the thing. Joining a church is playing your part in aligning your purpose alongside the purpose of everyone else in here. It's not a me too. It becomes one big, great we too. We're all in this together. We're all rallying around a common purpose that we believe that God has called us to. Every believer in here, you are a forgiven follower of Christ, but we corporately are the bride of Christ. That's something that happens when we're together. All the me too's line up into one big we too. We're the promised bride of Christ. We are pledged to be married to him. That's the end. When you read the book of Revelation, that's where this is going. There's a throne, and there's God's people gathered from every nation, tribe, tongue, every race. They're all gathered around this throne, and they're clothed in white because Hebrews 10 says that the Lamb has sprinkled our hearts and has cleansed us and made us clean. And that moment one day, it will be all about him. That's, that's what we are to live for, to be all about him. It will not be about us. And it's him, I picture him saying in that ring exchange vow, all my worldly goods I thee endow. I think it sounds something like that. It's probably a little closer to Romans 8 where Paul says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up freely for us all, how will he not freely give us all things? All my worldly goods I thee endow. And then it's our turn, and we say, uh, Jesus, I got this end table. <laughs> it's actually a little less than that, probably. But as small as our contribution is, it's for, the, it's for the end purpose of our lives being lived out for him. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To support his bride right now, not just then, but to support his bride now in the work and the worship that God has called us to, as the vow says, to the best of our end table abilities. And whenever we gather, we get to rehearse for that day in this day. We're going to rehearse in just a moment right around the communion table. But first, let's pray together.